Hi, James. Ben, how are you? I am excited. I'm excited to talk about Salesforce's acquisition of MuleSoft software. I mean, this was the big news this week, so I think I, I feel much the same way. Oh, excellent. Well, I can't wait to get to it. But first, we have to thank WordPress.com for sponsoring Exponent. Whether you'd like to build a personal blog, a business site, or both, creating your website on WordPress.com helps others find you, remember you, and connect with you. You don't need experience that guides you through the process from start to finish and take care of the technical side, keep your site up and running. And uh, we need a brief interlude here. Um, their customer support team is made up of WordPress experts eager to help you get the most from your site. And when are they available, James? 24-7, not 24 by See, 7. There, there was an which Australian. You claimed, which you claimed was an Australian saying. Until and someone, we received yeah. multiple responses by, via email and Twitter that uh, from many Australians that said they have no idea what you're talking about. I mean, <laughs> I, I think there are lots of people who send emails along those same lines. It's, this is one of the weird things about living in different parts of the world. Like, Oh, if, oh yeah. We don't say it in the US either, James. <laughs> oh, I know. Like, I just assume when someone says that, oh, it must be because I'm Australian or, oh, I got it from somewhere else. But yeah, occasionally you you run out of excuses and particularly with a <laughs> very international audience like we do. Apparently, I, I don't know where it came from. 24-7. So, yes. those, those experts are available 24-7. Think of all the poor people that skipped this ad read are going to miss that great content. Mm-hmm. Um, anyhow, plans start at just $4 per month, and all plans include a custom domain name for the life of the plan. Go to WordPress.com slash exponent to get 15% off your website today. That's WordPress.com slash exponent. And you know what? 24 by 7, it makes sense. I, it's not like oh. it's not completely nonsensical. Oh, thank you. I actually had one this week. Uh, we are not going to talk about uh, uh, MuleSoft and Salesforce, <laughs> although I think it's a fascinating deal. I did cover mm. the daily updates. Mm. Uh, but, but I actually got some feedback also because uh, I wrote about Facebook three times this week. And the third one, referring to your article, which we were, we'll get to in a moment, mm. I said that Allworth hones in on this point. And I got several people saying, no, it should be homes in. Do you say homes in or hones in? Hone with an N. It, you hone in on a point. I do too. So I looked it up. Apparently, the original is Homes In, but Homes In is both so common now that most dictionaries list both. Oh, interesting. and also uh, Home In it was the it was originally uh, uh, carrier pigeons would, would home in, and uh, then also it's kind of updated because like missiles like home in on their target. Uh-huh. But hone is also like sharpen or or like reach the point, and yeah. so it's it's one of those things where not only has hone become. Uh, an accepted term because of common use, it actually makes sense in its own right on the same lines. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, you know, th- this has been this has been uh, this has been grammar grammar week to say the least. Or, or this is this is the uh, opportunity to push back on all those emails on mass. So rather than reply to each one, we'll just talk about it on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I just, it, it, it was interesting. But let's get to the point. We are not talking about new software. We're talking about mm-hmm. Facebook, which we have talked about one one or two times previously on mm-hmm. this program talked about a lot of the issues that have come to the forefront this week. But what was so interesting about sort of, uh, if I can take a very sort of solipsistic lens to this, uh, you know, I was I was almost, it was almost, this whole thing has been very weird. So just, you know, as everyone surely knows, Facebook, you know, Cambridge Analytica is alleged to have data from Facebook that they acquired uh, in violation of the Facebook terms of service. And, and Facebook knew about this a while ago. They said, delete this data. They're like, we did. And then apparently they didn't, and Facebook now wants to audit. You know, there's there's been a big brouhaha, to say the least. Probably the one of the biggest brouhaha surrounding Facebook that we've mm. seen um, about this data. And what's so kind of weird about it is is 
like there's no there's no new news here like there's nothing mm-hmm. like uh, there's nothing i mean i guess that cambridge Analytica acquired it in the way they did and allegedly didn't delete it is is something but even that is not very surprising once you back up and understand the circumstances of this case it's kind of crazy i i feel like uh, there've been folks and uh, myself included have kind of been frustrated at the way that facebook was treating this data for so long and we we're, we're coming at it 3 years later and all of a sudden, as a result of the context, it, it suddenly snapped into focus and it's become, it's just, it's gone straight into the zeitgeist. And I guess it just goes to show that how much the context of, uh, I mean, it, this is something that I think is consistent with uh, something that you and I have both talked about, which is the importance of narratives. And I think the the idea of the data leaking in the absence of the narrative probably didn't upset people so much as the narrative of this big, big brother style firm or using all this data to sway an election. And that got people's attention. Yeah, so let's 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 make clear what went on here. So back uh, around t- 2007, very early on, Facebook uh, Institute, like Facebook Connect, which kind of what started down this road and really formalized it in 2010 with the with the graph API. But the idea was for for between four and seven years, and I, basically I think it was for seven years. The graph API just made it much easier than it was before. Uh, Facebook basically would let developers who signed up with Facebook and 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 were a registered developer to to basically get user data. And the way they would get user data, but in the way it worked in this case, was users would agree. So you'd get that pop-up box saying, you know, it's going to get your Facebook X, Y, Z, A, B, C, da, da, da. And that dialogue box today is now much more fine-tuned where you can choose not to give certain things and still sort of use the application. At the time of 2010, and I actually went back and watched the 2010 keynote uh, where where all this was announced, and it was super interesting. In part, it was interesting because it was impossible to find. Like, I ended up finding a Korean translation of the keynote, oh, wow. so it was still in English, but it had a Korean text over the top of it. That was mm-hmm. the only sort of, like, of the whole keynote that I could find. Um, anyhow, the whole thing's about, oh, we're going to make this super easy, super simple, and, like, one of the selling points is we're going to have a single dialogue box that pops up, and that's going to include everything. And, 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 and you know, and the idea was, oh, we're going to make it so much simpler to do this, and since then, that's one of the things Facebook has sort of slowly unwound, because you it gave you no choices. You had to either mm. accept or not accept, and you ended up in a situation where people wanted to do apps or whatever it might be that had a Facebook login and they no one actually clicked through to see what permissions they're giving away. It turned out the permissions they're giving away was a huge amount of data about themselves, which is one thing. Mm-hmm. But the second thing was also data about all their friends. And the data you get from their friends, it's more than just likes. I actually put the API document. I found an old, old image of it uh, in the article I wrote this week. It, it, it's definitely more than friends. It's like location, there's check-ins, mm-hmm. there's all – it's more than just likes. It's more than just names. Like there's a whole – uh, taxonomy of data, and I, I put the document on my uh, on Search Equity. You can go, you can go check it out. I'll put a link to the article that about all the sort of stuff that was available. And the the sort of issue here is there's two issues. One, users didn't know what they're giving away, and you can certainly make an argument they should have read it or whatever. And it's probably a bit of a BS argument, but it's a it's a reasonable argument. The second one though is the friends were having their data given away and they weren't involved in the decision at all. Basically, I could give away all of your data just by virtue of signing up for one of these apps. And the net result is that in the case of this Cambridge Analytica case, they could get 200,000 or so 
people to take this survey. And interestingly enough, a huge number of the survey takers were on Mechanical Turk. Like They paid mm. them to take the survey because the goal was not the Mechanical Turk users. It was the Mechanical Turk users' friends. And mm-hmm. they could then get this full database, end up being about 50 million users, which doesn't sound like a lot until you realize at the time – you know, Facebook was was much smaller than it was, and that was like a third or more of the U.S. Yeah, I, I mean, it's <laughs> it's kind of crazy. I mean, so so to 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 give the understanding at least of why Facebook would do this, it having allowing application developers built on top of Facebook to have access to the graph, have access to who your friends were, could be useful. And there were interesting applications that sprung up as a result of effectively having a fully populated graph off the go. And there were some interesting things that emerged. But this idea that they were giving away that many people's data and it is, it wasn't just, like you said, it wasn't just a few things. Like you go through that list and it is, it's like the keys to the kingdom, like the extent to which you could recreate like a, a lot of information about someone. It was scary. And all those, all those apps at the time, like those annoying friend uh, game notifications that you would get, it wasn't just, people your friends corrupting your notifications on facebook chances are while that was happening uh those game developers whoever they were were getting all my data all your data anyone's all the friends all the data of all the friends of that person playing the game it's nuts and the ratio that that turned out to be so cambridge analytica it was like we said 208 270,000 netted 50 million users is about one to 185. So for every one user they got, they got 185 additional profiles. And Facebook at the time at the like Q2 2015 had about one and a half billion users. If you assume that ratio is linear and there are reasons not to, that's basically saying you get 8 million downloads and you've got the entire database there and you can match it because when Facebook gave the app developers that data, they gave away a unique ID, a primary key that would allow you to recombine the database with other people that might have got a different set of users downloading a different app. Right. And before we get into sort of why why they did this, I, I think that the broader point as applied to what's going on now is is you know, in a big sort of point of debate over the weekend with Facebook executives weighing in on Twitter was was this a data breach? And and I think according to the commonly understood idea of a breach where someone breaks into the Facebook systems, whether whatever it means it might be, no, it was not a breach. But from a sort of user perspective and being aware and knowing that their data had been accessed in this way, it, the, the perception – like there's one thing where you're on one side of the divide and you're thinking about, oh, wait, wait, a breach is where someone breaks into our systems mm. and this was working as designed, right? But from a user perspective, it, it, it was the same thing. But it, it's worth pointing out that this was the system working as Facebook designed it to work. There, there wasn't any malfeasance here. In, in that, I mean, there was there was certainly you could argue there were bad actions, but there wasn't like purposeful like or someone broke into Facebook and made them do this or stole this sort of stuff. It was the system operating exactly as, as it was designed, and, and it wasn't. And and we know this because the Obama campaign, as an example, bragged about the fact they could do this. Like, yeah, we could go into Facebook and get the profiles of everyone in the country. And everyone's like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Good for you. So like, it's not like this, all this stuff is like, it was completely known. It wasn't, it wasn't like a surprise. 
I mean, I I think it's kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, and we get into semantic arguments about breaches. And I think one of the points that you've made, and it's it's a really good point, is it's such a shame that people are imprecise in their use of language around things like that, because technically it wasn't a breach, but you could call it a leak. Nevertheless, you compare this to... Data being data on users being used in ways that they never intended for it to be used, and this is going to be up there in terms of like incredibly personal data, and the scale of it is is huge. Like this is being used in ways that people were never intending for it to do, and like at least in the instance of a breach, you have a company trying to protect the data. Facebook was just giving it away, right? And I'm glad you mentioned the 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 preciseness in language a few folks have asked me about when i kind of blasted tim cook for accusing these companies of selling data and and i think people misunderstand my point wasn't to my point was i actually agreed with cook about the problems in terms Mm. of privacy the issue is that i i I think this weekend was a perfect example when you don't use the right language Mm -hmm. it it muddies the waters it makes the debate unclear about what you're arguing about now in this case it was just such a big deal that kind of overwhelmed it but you could see uh, from what i understand i think the alleged you know facebook threatening lawsuit was about the use of the word breach like you can't, it wasn't a breach. Don't say it was a breach. And they said it was a breach. And like, why not just say it's a leak? Like, because that's one, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And two, Facebook's executives can't sit on Twitter all week and muddy in the water saying, what, you know, what is this actually, you know, no, it's not, it wasn't a breach. It wasn't a breach. Like, we can use other words to describe it and, and, and say the same thing and be very clear what's going on. Same thing about, are, were they selling data? No, they weren't selling data. They were, even back then, they were not selling data. There was no selling of data going on. We can talk about that they are very loose and easy and giving data away for sure. But once you say selling data, what does Facebook do? We don't sell data. Mm-hmm. No. That's wrong. We don't sell data. And it's like the argument's like over. And, mm-hmm. and it, it's so frustrating. And, and this is why I get upset about this point. And I've had private conversations, not just with the Tim Cook thing. Like there was a, a Verge, a big Verge article about, about you know, the perception of Facebook or something. And they used the sell data thing. And I, I reached out to them like, don't, don't do this. Like it's, it's wrong. It, like, you, your entire very interesting article and results are sort of completely invalidate, invalidated by not using precise language. And it makes it trivial for Facebook to just dismiss the points you're trying to make. And, and so that's always been sort of my point about this all along. So sorry, that's a bit of a sidetrack, but I'm glad you sort of brought that up. No, no, I think it is a really, really important point. Like we are talking about Facebook giving away some of some incredibly sensitive data. There was a uh, I mean, in the in the API list, but Zuckerberg has much acknowledged it in a New York Times interview in the past 24 hours. Like they have been giving away religious affiliations. They have been giving away sexual orientations. That kind of data on individuals in certain contexts can get people killed. And they were doing it with complete disregard. And when journalists or anyone is is not Tim Cook, anybody is not precise about the language, then you end up having the wrong discussion. So I'm 100% with you. Right. Because it's a discussion that needs to be had. Like that's the whole point. Like it, uh, the every few months I get an email or a tweet about that, that totally mischaracterizes my position. And it got a lot this week. Oh, see, Tim Cook was right. No, he wasn't right. They weren't selling data. Now, was the, was he right about the data they have being a big issue? Absolutely 100%. And he was, in, he was more right than I probably gave him credit for. But I still completely stand by the criticism of the choice of words. I mean, and, and for someone like Tim Cook in particular, he doesn't say stuff on accident. You know what I mean? It's not mm. like he was 
not being queer about his language. The fact is, is that they sell your data is rhetorically powerful. And, and it's and it's like, wow, I can't believe they do that. It's a little harder to get across that they are loose with your data or they have all this data that's easy to get in the wrong hands. That's harder mm. to articulate. But I think in the long run, being precise pays off because it, it, it yeah. gives the sort of target far fewer places to hide. And, and there's an example that that I come back to. I think I've said in the podcast before, the, the pharmaceutical example. Have I talked mm. about this? Yeah, I where think you have, but it's a good they, one. They, they list all these side effects, and it turns out that actually they only are required by law to list one or two of them. The reason they list 14 or 15 is because you don't hear the one or two that are actually a big deal because it just all sort of disappears, right? It, it, yeah. it all blurs together. And I think this is if you're not precise, the waters get muddied. And, and mm-hmm. I think that's happened in the past with Facebook. And again, this week, it's just been so overwhelming that it and the breach discussion actually arguably backfired against Facebook. Book, yeah, in that you know they're like you know stop it, stop talking, stop sort of distracting us here. But by and large, I do think. I mean, why wouldn't the Guardian, New York Times, just say leak? They said leak in in the article half the places. They yeah. just they they really wanted to use the word breach, and it seems counterproductive. But sorry, that was a huge rattle. Um, mm-hmm. But I appreciate you letting me go down it. No, let's go back though. Anyhow, speaking of that 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 Tim Cook article, and so actually this works. Our rat hole turns out to be a good segue. <laughs> uh, I, I discussed in there why these companies wouldn't sell your data and why wouldn't they sell your data? Because that's is valuable. It's what they, it, like, that's what they, when the way it works is advertisers don't get data from Google and Facebook. They can advertise against data where basically we want to target people who are X, Y, Z and Facebook doesn't deliver them a list of users. They serve the ad to those people. So Facebook is an intermediary where they do know about the users, but they don't tell that the advertisers, they just act as, as a middleman basically that, Oh, we'll show this advertisement to the people that you Mm -hmm. want to reach. So now the system's not perfect, right? I mean, particularly if you respond to an ad, there is leakage where an advertiser might be able to figure out who you are. But even then there's like limitations. Like if your ad is going to reach like fewer than 20 people or something like that, like mm-hmm. Facebook won't serve the ad. And the point is, is because you, you you shouldn't be able to figure out exactly who it is. Now, again, it's not perfect. There, there are ways to, to, to do this again, particularly if you respond to the ad. But the point of the matter is, is Facebook does not sell data to advertisers. They, they're acting as an intermediary. And my argument at the time was, well, of course, Facebook won't sell this data. And it's, interesting to this week i was just thinking it really struck me well they did give the data away previously again they weren't giving it to advertisers at least not directly you had to be a developer now there's a whole question about how many developers were fronts for advertisers to get this sort of data Mm. which is certainly one we can get into but the question is why were they doing it previously and they weren't and they're not doing it today and i don't believe they would they shut it down they shut it down in 2014 and and I was trying to wrap my head around what happened before. And this is sort of like what kicked off the sort of three-day post-extravaganza that, ironically enough, was was culminated with your post. So we could jump to your post. I think you were actually got it more right than, than I did. But I, I think that the journey there might be interesting. I don't know. What, what do you think? Yeah, I think we should do it. So the thing that was struck me about this, and, and so just to give a heads up, we're going to do a sort of meandering path to what was Facebook thinking that is going to end with uh, James telling me uh, what Facebook was thinking and him being right and me probably being wrong. But the reason I think it's interesting is because I actually I, I found this week very intellectually stimulating from like a sort of like mm. pure strategic perspective because it made me th- it made me think about a few things that have been on the edge of my head for a while, edge of my head, uh, edge of my brain for a while, and I've never fully fleshed out. Mm. And one of the big ones is is 
in what respect are Google and Facebook different? And this has always come up when I do – when I've given talks before, especially about aggregation theory, where Google is such a perfect example of an aggregator. Like they are the ultimate aggregator in that their suppliers line up to give Google exactly what they want. I mean every, every publisher puts mm-hmm. up a, a web map that's Google-specific and says, hey, oh, here's where our links are. Here's everything. Like they literally – put a, like a literal map for Google so they can perfectly give Google their information in, in, mm-hmm. in a better way. And Google creates all these custom taxonomies so you can set up your recipes in a certain way. Or look at the AMP thing, right? The AMP article where b- b- Google wants to do this, this, this sort of article. All the publishers are going to line up and they're going to give it to Google. And why? Because on the other side, Google controls demand. Demand is how people get to all these sorts of sites. And Google was great from the beginning by using by, by having links. And, and that's allowed them to become greater. Again, greater uh, – whether you think that's great or not is, is a separate thing. But the idea is, you know, Google started with just links, 10 blue links. And now Google rarely gives you a result that's just 10 blue links. Often they give you the answer at the top of the, of the thing. You don't need to click on anything. It's just right there. And again, there's lots of things to get into. This is leaving aside the antitrust issues, all those sorts of things. The fact of the matter is that Google is able to leverage their initial good user experience to get lots of users that gave them leverage over suppliers such that they could improve the product and gain more users. It's just a it's as perfect example of aggregation theory as there is. Yeah, and obviously, given the the intent expressed by the users when they type something like that into the search bar, it's very interesting for advertisers. And then all these all these three flywheels, like the advertisers give Google the money, which improves the product, which gets more users, which means more suppliers of websites want it. Like it just is this perfect engine firing and helping itself. That's right, and Google. I mean, Google has more data than anyone. I think is 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 probably safe to say. I mean, they get data from users using the search engine. They get data from suppliers. But again, the, the data isn't just personal identifying data. Although Google has tons of that as well. They have ad networks all over the web. They have you give them lots of data. You have your email there. You use the Chrome browser. Like, there's lots of ways for Google to get data. But the other thing is, Google also has all the data from all over the web because everyone wants to be in Google, right? Whether you're a recipe site, you want to be in Google. If you're a local business, you want to be in Google. If you're a big business, you want to be in Google. If you it, if you're Amazon, you want to be a Google. Like if you search for a product, Amazon's results are right there, and, and Amazon's happy about that. Mm. If you're, you know, every site wants to be in Google, which means Google's sort of hold on information again, not just personally identifying information, but information of all types is superior to basically everyone, and it's mm-hmm. superior because everyone in the entire value chain or ecosystem, which is basically everyone in the world, is heavily incentivized to give their stuff to Google, not because Google is acting untoward, but just because the very structure of the way the value chain is aligned means it's in everybody's interest to give Google their data. Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting to contrast that with Facebook because going up against that directly would never work. But if you can create a walled garden where Google can't reach in, then maybe you can create an environment where you start to benefit in the same way and Google can't get its fingers into it. Right. Which is, and this was so interesting because you think about Facebook, the thing that makes Facebook unique is their content suppliers are also their content consumers. And so you get this really supercharged viral loop where, yes, they control demand, but by the Controlling demand, the de- those de- demanding the content are also creating content, which increases the demand. And like that's why Facebook has the tightest viral loop of like, like the history of business, right? Because the content creators and the content consumers are the same people, and mm-hmm. and, and and the the speed with which that loop runs is basically completely unprecedented because it's it's all happening on Facebook's platform and. 
as an added benefit to your point, because it's their platform, they can wall it off from Google and basically build up a repository of data that Google can't touch and is unique. And because you think about it, most sites on the web, if they get large and uh, accrue lots of data, because they're still on the web, they are still they're basically incentivized to give that data to Google. Right, because they want to reach customers, and Google controls controls the access to so many customers, not just your ongoing customers, but your sort of future customers going forward. Mm-hmm. And so, Facebook was different because they controlled demand directly. They could build up a data repository that one Google couldn't touch, and two Google Facebook wasn't motivated to give to Google. They could keep it sort of independent. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so this is, again, <laughs> we're going to say about why this may have been fully explanatory in a moment. But to me, it was so illuminating to think about the different positions of these companies. We think about them, oh, they're both huge data monsters, right? And they, they have all this data. But the types of data they had are very different. Google mm-hmm. has data from all over the web given to Google willingly. Facebook has an astronomical amount of personal data mm-hmm. like about you personally, what you like, your friends, your comments, all these sorts of things. But... Facebook has a paucity of all that other data on the web. Like, why would Facebook know about restaurants? Why would Facebook know about commerce sites? Why would Facebook know about travel sites? Like, and yes, there's some aspect where people share their photos, and I went on this trip or whatever. But, but if you think about it, Facebook had it. Facebook was, whereas Google was fully distributed, they had data about everything. Mm-hmm. And Facebook was very, very concentrated. They had a massive amount of data in one specific area, and not really much data about everything else. Right. And I think I see where you're going with this. Well, and so you think about it. So my first thinking is like, why would Facebook give away this data? You can actually, again, leaving aside the privacy issues, you can see a very sound sort of strategic thinking here where we have an excess of data in this one area and we will trade that to get all this missing data that we don't have to get the restaurant data to get the travel data to get the the local business data and what do we have to trade we have we have our data which is more than we actually need like just so much and we trade it and yes they get our data Sorry, my dog. (laughs) I was about to say something. It's version. It's version three of the garbage truck song. Sorry. Um, Sorry. They have all this. They have all this excess data, like pictures of my dog that I post on uh, when she's not being Mm -hmm. terrible. Um, So they have all this excess data, and they trade it to get all this other data. And are they giving away their data? Sure. But think about it. They're trading with Yelp, for example, right? What does Yelp end up having? Yelp ends up having local restaurant data and Facebook data. And then Facebook does the same thing with TripAdvisor. And they have travel data and they have Facebook data. So so those companies are in better shape. They have they know much more about their users. They have more personalized experiences, all those sorts of things. But where is Facebook? Facebook now has personal data plus restaurant data plus travel data. They get all of it. And you think of them being in the center of this data exchange where all these other companies get Facebook data and they get all those other companies' data. The net result is Facebook has all the data. Mm. This is where I started to think back to Facebook around this time. And it's very much the case that everybody it's, – it's an example of a company that from a, a strategic perspective, for example, the way they dealt with Instagram and WhatsApp, like they are strategically quite tight. But it has not always been the case that they have been managed that way. And I started to think back to the time when this was instituted. And this was very much Facebook 1.0. This is the same company that almost missed mobile because it was playing around doing a whole bunch of other stuff. And the other stuff that they were playing around with was instead of focusing on that shift to mobile, they were playing around trying to be a platform. 
And this is where I started to think about like, why would they do this? Like if you are sitting on the most valuable advertising business in the world and the critical component of that advertising business is the data that you have on users, why on earth would you give away the data? And it kind of clicked in a conversation that you and I had. It's like, that's the reason they were doing it was because they didn't think they were an advertising business or if, if they did, they didn't want to be it. They wanted to be a platform. And in that light, this makes so much sense. It's like, what do you need to be a platform? You need developers. And what can, what have you got that will bring developers into the platform? You have all this data. So let's do a trade. I'll give you, this is, this is a data giveaway that is unlikely to ever be replicated again in history. Like you get one user to sign up for your app We'll give you 185 other users' data. And of course, that sounds incredibly appealing to the the developers, along with the fact that there are a lot of people using Facebook, of course. So like you can, you get a degree of virality through all the notifications and so on. And it, it all just made sense. It's like, instead of focusing on what they were, which was an advertising company and thinking, okay, we need to keep this data sacrosanct, we need to keep the user's attention. So we should be focusing on mobile. They thought that they were playing the game of trying to be a platform, which is the gold standard inside of Silicon Valley. Everybody wants to be a platform. And this is why they spent too long on, on, on desktop and why they were giving away user data left and right. I, I think that I think that's right. I think you told me like I'm I'm way overthinking it. Yes, and, like I think it was productive because I feel like I understand the difference between Google and Facebook much more clearly than I did before this week. Like I'm of course they're different companies, but from a sort of like where they sit in the value chain perspective, I feel I understand better. But at the end of the day, I think your more prosaic explanation is right, and it, it's really annoying <laughs> because. You I've said been, this. Like, I, I picked I this know, up from you. I've been complaining about Facebook doing dumb things because they wanted to be a platform from literally like the first month of Stratechery. Like, I think the second article or third article I wrote was about Facebook doing dumb shit because they wanted to be a platform instead mm. of embracing their destiny to be an advertising company. And I like, I wrote an article in the first summer saying how mobile was the best thing that happened to Facebook because mm. on mobile, the screen's so small, you can't f around. Like, you can't, like, you, 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 you show ads, you can't have a platform, a developer experience on top of it, and Apple's gonna ban it anyway. All you can be is Facebook and you can show ads. And it turns mm-hmm. out those are the best ads in like the history of advertising. Like you, you get this ad that takes over the entire screen in front of people's place, backed up by all this data, targeting data that Facebook has. And it was the best thing that happened to the company. And and I've I've said that on this podcast multiple times. Like Facebook mm-hmm. got lucky; they backed into this unbelievable business model that that left their old one in the dust. But you go back; that was preceded by them trying to do like Facebook Home, Facebook mm-hmm. Phone, all this sort of like crap that was about them trying to get the platform and. And by the way, like six months after I wrote that, how Facebook was on mobile and they were lucky, they bought Oculus, which was just, oh, we want to be a platform. It's like, mm-hmm. it's so true. Like Zuckerberg has been obsessed with being a platform. And what's the difference between a platform and an ad company? An ad company is you harvest user attention so you can serve them ads. Mm-hmm. A platform is you harvest user attention such that other companies can build on top of you and, and you're going to take like a tax on the way, like a skim mm-hmm. basically of yeah. proceeds. And so this would be windows where they, they, you know, they apps on top of it and their proceeds were the licensing of the operating system or Amazon and, or Amazon with AWS is a platform. Apple, the, the app store is a platform. Uh, these are all platforms. And the idea is other companies make money on your site such that they benefit and then you benefit. And, and, 
and yes, that it is the, it is what everyone in Silicon Valley wants to be. And Mark Zuckerberg has talked endlessly about wanting to be a platform. At the end of the day, Facebook's not a platform. It's an advertising business. What's mm. the difference? An advertising business shows ads. And like you can't have both. They compete with each other. Mm. Either you're featuring developers or you're featuring ads. You have to pick one. There's a reason why Android doesn't have ads because Android is a platform product. It's not an advertising vehicle. And like Google, the biggest advertising company of them all, it, it can figure that out. Yeah, I mean, yes, it's true. Uh, but it's it's also one of these things that as much as everyone in Silicon Valley wants to be a platform, advertising's kind of dirty. Like advertising's kind of looked down on around here. Like this is the thing that like ruins web pages. Like, you know, like nobody likes advertising. This is like a messy thing that's ruining my beautiful user interface. I, I'm going to, I mean, Zuckerberg was famously very resistant to putting ads on Facebook for the longest period of time. And part of it was like because of the user experience and these things are ruining the user experience and i i think the lure of the platform and the and the the messiness of the ads like like you said google recognized very quickly well i mean google google to it kind of google a long time to come to grips with it too and you could argue that they fully haven't either right like they they I think, yeah you're right it's, <laughs> it's it's people don't want to be an ad company it's, this is the other thing that's frustrating about this whole debate is it's quickly spun into like advertising of course this is advertising advertising is bad sort of thing and, and you we can have a debate about user data and whatnot but mm-hmm. the irony and this is the the great point that 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 you made this week is actually the problem is not that facebook is an ad company the problem is that facebook refused to accept that it was an ad company because mm. had they accepted they were an ad company there's no way they would have been so cavalier with this data not because they gave a shit about privacy because clearly they didn't and mm-hmm. don't and there's been plenty of statements from executives through the years you know about zuckerberg oh, everybody should be more open more connected etc cetera, etc cetera. Yeah. like we we know they don't care about this but but the, the, but my argument was never that they cared. It was that the incentive for an advertising company is not to you yes. know, sell data. And, well, why didn't the incentives work? Because they weren't – They didn't they realize they were. They didn't accept <laughs> it. They didn't ex- – and I think it's the combination of those two things that's really – that's really got them on the hook here. It's it's the fact they got it wrong, and it's also the fact that they've been so cavalier about privacy. If right, they, they, had, they had this. That's the, the, the point of the Facebook brand, right? They've had this coming. Sorry, I interrupted. Yes, no, 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 no. You're totally right. I, I, I like if they'd only made one of those mistakes, they'd have probably gotten away with it. There were probably other ways they could have played to be a platform without giving away user data, and they wouldn't be in the situation that they're in right now. But the combination of being cavalier about user data and uh, and the the not accepting your fate not accept like this has been one of the things that we've talked about for 140 something episodes now how critical it is to get this business stuff right and you're right like mobile kind of dragged them into it kicking and screaming but like these are the kinds of ramifications that you face when you get it wrong like what we're seeing now is as a result of you thinking you're a different kind of company yeah it's i mean it's it's such a profound point if you it's again i just mentioned before it's like the exact opposite direction that everyone's running in where where you know the the issue here is not the advertising business per se although there are issues which we'll get to in a moment the the issue is that they didn't act like an advertising business Mm. like like we would be better shape if they had been as rapacious and and 
desirous of user data as everyone accuses them of being, right? I was like, oh, this is the kind of company Facebook is. They just want user data and show you ads, blah, blah, blah. You know what? If they had acted like that in 2010, they wouldn't have this problem today. The problem is in 2010, they didn't care about data because they didn't see themselves as being that kind of company. Yeah, I, and I mean, the the... the the user trust thing is going to be, it's going to take a very long time to recover as a result of this. And that is then going to have some pretty serious flow on effects. Like your point around the biggest risk that an aggregator then faces or will face in the future, because you, you almost get into this position where you have suppliers, users, and advertisers uh, lining, bashing down your door because like there's no other game in town. But the one thing where the thread can get pulled is is if you start to lose users. And this is like, we talked about the tobacco thing. And this this whole thing, I think the re- part of the reason that I've been so sensitive to it, like like on one hand, I kind of saw the, the Murdoch parallels of, of the dangers of concentration. But there's another thing. It's, I mean, it's a topic that we've brought up once or twice on the podcast. And that is for the longest period of time, I struggled with my sexuality. And I I think I realized very early on that of all the entities in the world, I think Facebook was going to be the one that could probably figure it out. And that scared me. And then you read at the time that they're giving away all the all the data on all the users without their consent. Anytime you sign up for an application, you lose it. But even if your friends are signing up, all that data is going out there to who knows where. And like I was in I was in the States or in Australia at the time. I was relatively safe. It's like that point that I made before. This is the type of data that if it fell into the wrong hands could see people killed. And it's like you on one hand, you need that user trust in order to collect the data in order to be a great advertiser. And I feel like this is why Google's got away with this a a, a lot more than Facebook has. Like Google has its problems with antitrust, but they've always recognized, or at least more recently, always recognized that they're an advertising company. And they've been very careful about the way that they've used user data. Facebook hasn't. And that trust is now coming to light. And it's going to be very interesting to see because this is what this is the threat to an aggregator is if you lose the users. And this is like a perfect storm to test whether they're actually going to do it or not. It's a point well made. And and I think, you know, your further point bringing in sort of your personal experience is such a powerful sort of illustration about the importance of having different points of views, different experiences when you're making these sorts of decisions, right? I mean, because mm. you, you, it's a lot easier for someone like me to be relatively trivial about, oh, I'm a Facebook's data out there. What am I going to do? When, when I, you know, I, I, I'm a, you know, straight white male, like there's not that much stuff I have to worry about. So yeah, I, I think that's a, it's a very important and useful point uh, on multiple vectors. The other thing I would note is you kind of talked about the advertising aspect, and there's that phrase, and you've seen a ton of it this week, which is, uh, you know, you're not the users aren't the product; they're the what is it? You or users yeah. aren't you're not the you're not the customer; you're the product mm-hmm. uh, because of the advertising business. And that phrase drives me up the wall, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it drives me up the wall because I think it's a it belies a pretty fundamental misunderstanding of how these platforms work. It's kind of like the old like Comcast, like Comcast can treat its customers like crap because where else are they going to go, right? And there's sort of thing, but the problem is, is the entire reason why companies like Facebook or Google have their power, the reason why they have all those advertisers is because they have users. That's the entire point of sort of aggregation theory, that all their power in the market, their power over suppliers and their power over advertisers and the attractiveness of their advertisers 
advertising products rests on their being happy users. And, and mm. so there's this sort of insinuation in that comment that, oh, of course they can treat users like crap because they have this other aspect coming in that I think misunderstands the way these markets work. And and I and again, I think this is actually a great example. If you go back in a Facebook had a we are an advertising business how can we maximize our value and and make it such that you know we compete against others they're not going to have an advantage and you know there was another article about a, a another whistleblower that worked at Facebook that said one of the reasons Facebook shut this down was they realized they were basically arming competitors right mm-hmm. once you realize you're an advertising business to have this sort of program is is asinine it makes no sense but but here's the situation where you know what it, the issue again if you think that if you think of facebook thinking like an advertiser mm-hmm. you have to jump through all the hoops that i jumped to to try to explain what they were doing right mm-hmm. and you're right i was way overthinking it now again i think it was productive thinking because i think i do understand the companies better but it's like the the, the proverbial double bank shot that we talked about previously uh, which <laughs> which is about pool not basketball uh, do, do we issue that corrected yet that was like 50 episodes ago mm-hmm. uh and the fact of the matter is is the problem was they weren't thinking like an advertiser yeah, I mean, I, I think there are two distinct things here. And the, the, the data giveaway is exactly because they weren't thinking about uh, themselves as an advertiser. I think it, more, the more recent criticism that Facebook has faced, not from a privacy perspective, though that's been ongoing, I guess, is like this, this, this more subtle point around whether time on Facebook is well spent. Like, I, I agree with what you say about uh, if you're if you're not the if the user isn't the customer then they're the product. Like I I agree that with your point in so much as to say all advertising like this or all advertising based businesses like this are bad as a result of this is unfair. I agree well, with it's, that it's, point. It's just it's just a it's just a misunderstanding of the way the market works. Facebook is heavily incentivized to keep users happy. Google is heavily incentivized to keep users happy. And it, it sort of like insinuates that they can do it. They can treat users like crap and sell their data willy nilly and make people mad because what else are they going to do? No, they, they can, they really can click away. And, 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 and I think that's the point you're making is it follows then if these companies, if their power in the market rests on users, mm. then the greatest danger to them is by extension users growing disgusted, disenchanted, yeah. developing antipathy towards the product. And that was the sort of like the tobacco analogy that we made you know, a few mm. weeks ago. Well, I mean, I, th- I think that's true, but let's imagine this whole, let's imagine fa- as, as a thought experiment, let's imagine Facebook hadn't mistaken itself as a platform and it had been an advertiser all along. I'm still concerned much more so with Facebook than with Google, that the incentives for the company aren't necessarily aligned with the long-term well-being of users. And that's where I think, I don't think that gap exists for for Google. Like if you want results, like you want access to knowledge, you type it in and yeah, you get some ads up the top, but Google's incentive is to provide you with the most accurate result and then send you on your way. Facebook's is to keep you coming back. And there's a degree of addiction where, and I think people are starting to recognize this now like part of the way that they keep your eye keep you glued to the facebook app is showing you things that maybe don't make you happy maybe don't make you uh don't make it time well spent but rather engage you in such a way that gets you heated and gets you coming back for more and more and clicking on clickbaity articles now that's obviously an extreme 
uh, like I'm painting the incentive to the extreme, but that's part of the problem I still have with the organization. Even I, I agree with your advertising point overall, but there's still distinctions between advertisers and the incentives Facebook have for treating the users. Yes, there is a long-term risk that they face. If they lose all the users, then their business is obviously going to be worthless. At the same time, to keep making quarterly numbers, they need people logging in and looking at the screens in order to see the ads. Sure. Sorry, I didn't realize you're kind of because you're right. That's like a separate point. Uh, yes. And you, I, I was I was still stuck on the one. Yeah. No, I agree. That, that is a further additional issue here. And I think that gets into one of the points I made in, in, in the article was the way I think the long term sort of uh, regulatory challenges that will be faced by Google and Facebook will end up being pretty fundamentally different. And that is in Google's case, in large part because their power really derives from their place in the value chain. The the long term regulatory framework for Google is antitrust, where mm. they're, they're held to abuse that power in, in various ways. And we've talked about that before. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about it again. But it kind of, it, this gets to the, what's the difference between the companies? The, the problem with Facebook has always been, like, you talk about antitrust or they're too big. What's, like, what are they doing wrong? If you, like, mm. if you, like from an antitrust perspective, how is Facebook being anti-competitive? Now, for sure, on an acquisition basis, like buying Instagram, this is why I argue they shouldn't be able to buy TBH. Mm-hmm. And TBH was really just an, an excuse to write about they shouldn't have been able to buy Instagram previously. <laughs> like that, from that angle, they shouldn't be able to acquire their way into even more dominance. And 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 I've, I've argued for a while that you know. It, in antitrust case against Facebook, if it is to be made, is going to be made on the ad side of things as opposed mm, to the sort of yeah. user side of things because it's really or, – or even the supplier side of things is like what are they actually doing that's problematic? And if you think about it, it's because their power springs from that internal viral loop, which is people posting stuff on there and consuming it. And, and like you can't actually be sued for antitrust because you are providing your own content that people are consuming. You know what I mean? It's, it's nonsensical. But – the implication of that and the follow-on effects of them not valuing user privacy over time, and I still think my my sort of structural insight about them wanting to get data from outside the web and being willing to exchange data for that, mm-hmm. all these – and to your point, where Google gives you like good search results. It's, it, Google is genuinely useful. It's hard to think mm-hmm. of – I mean, honestly, Google, let's be clear, like Google is the most useful tech company of all of them, and, and which makes sort of the debates about them hard to get into because at the end mm-hmm. of the day, you could use Android, you could use Windows. Yeah, you might prefer Apple, but at the end, like if you don't have Google, you, like particularly, particularly when Google came along because it was such a massive Revelation. leap forward, well, yeah. just the, the way they understood the web and how you could index it to find results. Now, yeah, you could have Bing today, but Bing only exists as it exists because Google came first. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, um, it, we're going to get complaints about that, but I, I would stand by it. But to your point, it, it also means the regulation for Facebook is likely going to come by a more sort of democratic means, by which I mean there's going to be like laws passed. <laughs> it, 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 why? Because it's become much more of a political question. It's become more of a political problem for Facebook. And Congress, is, I think, is going to act uh, before Congress would act relative to, say, Google. Whereas on the flip side, antitrust regulators are, are much more likely to have an issue with Google because their position in the value chain is just so much stronger than Facebook's is. Yeah. I, yes. I was kind I, of all I over think- the place. That makes sense. No, it totally does make sense. Like the, to 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 address this, something about the laws are going to have to change. It's uh, it, that makes total sense. That, well, that's Facebook, going to have to change, but they're they're also more likely to, to change because Facebook is Facebook is like inherently more likely to produce bad headlines, for lack right. of a better word, than than Google is just by virtue of to your point the the product itself 
and to my point, the 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 the, the sort of privacy issues that again they've been they've demonstrated laxness over time and for a period of time didn't even understand the type of company they were. So they, they acted even worse than you would have expected. You know, you sort of like standard company, in the same position to act. It truly is remarkable how they have managed to create a perfect storm in terms of like all, all, all the pieces that led to this point have summed up to this perfect storm. Yeah. Well, so it's interesting to think about what that regulation might look like because, and, and you know, the, the obvious answer and Zuckerberg was basically saying as such in these interviews this week is, well, people really want their data locked down and value their data being locked in. And and it's so self-serving, but it's also sort of inevitable. I mean, that's like the the answer is going to end up being don't share data with anyone ever, which at the end of the day is not exactly the worst outcome for Facebook because they already have all the data. So now they don't need to share it with any would-be competitors. Yeah, I mean, it, I, the, the the New York Times interview was, I think, of all of them, the best. It was the most interesting. But there were things in there that just kind of it, it blew my it blows my mind that it has taken this long for the person sitting on top of the world's largest social network to to realize this. Like he was talking about the Cambridge Analytica. There was a quote about how he was describing Facebook's relationship to the developers that Facebook were giving was giving the data to. And and this quote is just having folks tell us that they were using the data correctly, I think, does not satisfy our responsibility to our community to protect their data. Like Oh my God, you have been CEO of this company for how many years now? And it's only in this incredible storm that you realize something like this. It's just kind of mind boggling. Well, I mean, I think there's a, one could certainly take a much more cynical view of this. I mean, I think the, another good interview was, was the, was the wired was in wired or they asked uh-huh. him, you know, what's the model for regulation? And he's like, you know, we're, we're honestly, you know, we're, we're kind of open to it. And, and I think, you know, clearly people want to have their Facebook locked down. We thought they wanted to have it more shared and, and I guess we should have it locked down. And, and it, you, again, my, my broader point is Facebook. Yeah. I don't think like Facebook is, is kind of throwing the tech industry under the bus to, to some respect. Yeah. It's like, yeah, well, we're going to lock down data completely. No more openness, close down those APIs. And, and who's in that world where you can't share data, where you can't express it, who is going to benefit the companies that already have the data, who already has data. Facebook does. And, and, I mean, and you know, it, it, this is the, a fundamental challenge here is that if you think about that Facebook is too large and is too powerful and you want competitors to come along and we and I've proposed this, you need some sort of data portability. And, and by data portability, I don't mean just all your photos and pictures and stuff like that. Like, you're like, oh, GDPR is going to data portability. Yeah, it, it lets you it, it enforces you have to have an API to export all of your sort of photos and status updates, all that sort of stuff. You know what it explicitly bars? Exporting stuff about your friends. Identifying information about your friends. Guess what is the most valuable data that Mm. Facebook owns? Yeah. The connections, the network, the network, exactly. And and we're barreling towards this world where yes, Facebook may get regulated, but that regulation is going to do nothing but entrench their position and make it that much harder for a competitor to, to, to come along, and particularly when that competitor is not going to be able to take some of the sort of shady sh- shortcuts that other companies may have taken in the past yeah. to acquire your data. What's the, other way, what's the other way that companies get networks? They use your contact book, right? Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, I mean, ironically enough, Tim Cook is overseeing the second best way to get your friends <laughs> identifying information, which is you ask, can I have access to your contacts? 
iOS will put up a prompt. You say allow. Guess what? You just gave away all your friends' and personal identifying information. Mm-hmm. To and but you think you're like, oh, that's a bad thing. Imagine if that didn't exist. Imagine if you were trying to build any sort of social network, any sort of sort of community based product, and Apple locked down contacts, Android locked down contacts, Facebook locked down their graph, Twitter locked down their graph, it's on their graph. You have to start from absolutely nothing. There's no way to bootstrap it. Like th- this is where we're barreling towards, and it's arguably an even greater problem than, than the one we're trying to prevent. It's frustrating because you're going from one extreme all the way over to the other. Like the issue that people are objecting about with Facebook is not that that uh, that uh, we were like the user was able to share the data. The the frustration is that Facebook was giving away the data of people that didn't even realize. And there is there is something in between where like okay, I want to I want to take my data out of Facebook, and maybe we have the user IDs of people that I'm friends with, or some one other identifying piece of information of the people that I'm friends with, and I get to take that, and I don't get to take anything else, and I can go to the new network, and if that person signs up with that identifiable piece of information there's a match and then i'm friends on there but like we're going to go from the extreme of like okay we were giving away absolutely everything about all your friends including everything to oh now we're just not going to allow it at all which is like you said part of the gdpr and i think it's going to have like as again like a recurring topic there are so many unintended consequences that are going to happen here the most obvious one is just entrenchment of these players that have been acting well acting badly all along that's exactly right facebook is like it's like the same muddying the water thing we talked about before and like breach or selling data right basically facebook ruined it for everyone by giving away so much data the end result is going to be all data sharing is going to be banned. And, and the fact, and again, this we mentioned it several times, what is most needed is a way to export the friend graph, like a, who yeah. your friends are. And like there, there's no perfect solution where you have perfect privacy and you have you have competition in these spaces like there has to be yeah. a balance here to me the reasonable balance is you can export your friends names and email addresses because those are like the the, the identifying information and there are again we can have a debate about this but the point is that debate is barreling towards not happening at all we're just going to mm-hmm. have total walls put up between these services and it's going to be terrible for competition and, and we're going to end up where like facebook is like the officially sanctioned data holder for everyone and, and this gets to the sort of broader philosophical question that i think tim cook was by and large driving at and, and that i've kind of hinted at throughout is should one company be able to collect all of this data and you know at, at, at the end of the day like that's just sort of the nature of of digital right you are spewing data with everything you do you whether it's your ip address whether it's your your cookies like there's there's so much data that is being handed out and again some of it could be locked down but at the end of the day the, the it's like uh, it's like a paywall right like mm-hmm. you can get a living with a paywall on the internet there is a certain degree of unnaturalness Leakage. to it well yeah because you're you're trying to make scarce something that is inherently infinite you know what I yes. mean? And mm-hmm. you can pull it off. But I mean, just there's going to be leakage. Yeah. Uh, believe me, I have far more readers in my daily update than I do <laughs> subscribers. Don't – I'm going to have to edit that out. But, but, but that's just sort of inevitable. And you think about it here. Like this is a, a challenge. Another one of the huge challenges presented by the internet is that 
personal identifying information being out there and available. Again, Facebook supercharged it to a crazy degree that was that was very problematic. But the fundamental issue that that's going to be out there to try to just sort of say it's never going to get out, it, it, I, I'm not sure that's the right route for regulation and thinking about this going forward because you're kind of trying to push this rock uphill that that's not going to stay there. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I, I mean, I, I think that is a, a perfect culminating point for, for for most of this podcast, but I do want to spend five minutes on something else. Isn't it insane that these Cambridge Analytica clowns are, are, the, are the, the straw that broke the camel's back? Like so much ink has been spilt on these guys. I just can't escape the feeling that they are nothing but masterful marketers and very little else. Oh yeah, by all by all all evidence is that they were totally ineffective, right? They had no, right. They, they didn't like the actual data. They just end up doing normal Facebook targeting and charging uh-huh. a premium for it. And now no one will hire them because everyone knows they're full of they're, they're full of BS. No, but I'm not. Well, there's two things. Number one, I'm not surprised because I, I believe me, I have felt this very deeply ever since Trump got elected. Is that the the, the there is a <laughs> there, there's a firestorm. It's like we're living in a constant state of like there being a firestorm, and mm-hmm. so you 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 dump even just a little bit of gasoline on it. It's gonna it's, there's gonna be a conflagration. And, and on the flip side, though, that is also possibly a reason why nothing is gonna come of this, at least in the short term. And that is because I think we are in you know we're, we're we get our news from 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 the you know blue America, as it were. We're in the middle of it. We're in San Francisco, all those sorts of things. And the the fact of the matter is that Republicans control the House, they control the Senate, they control the presidency. And all these sort of like calls of like congressional investigations, all sort of things are coming from Democrats who have no power. And, and, and the more that the fact that this is, I would argue, becoming a conflagration because of partisanship may in fact mean it's actually not going to lead to anything because of partisanship. And again, this isn't – I'm not taking sides on the matter. This is sort of my sort of best attempt at objective analysis. I would bet there's more likely to be things that happen in Europe, again, for the same re- – not just because of Europe generally has been more aggressive in regulating these companies, but because I think the sort of – the partisan angle is going to be less. Although in the UK, you arguably have a similar thing because it involves Brexit and things along those lines. But it's it's so hard because we are in the bubble. Like just by it's it's hard mm. to escape it. it, and it feels like this fear over Facebook is so overwhelming. At but I I I'm not totally sure that that is the case broadly. It might be. I'm just I, I'm just a little wary. I'm just yeah. I, I'm cognizant it's- of the bubble. Yeah, no, it's true. It, it, it's funny you mention it. I, I went to the gym today and some, I'm assuming, joker had turned on Fox News on one of the TVs and it was was basically talking about how these tech companies uh, are, are going after and, and depressing the ability for conservatives to get their message out and so on. And it's like, it's a completely different, like that filter bubble is is a very real thing. I agree with everything you've said there, but I just want to stick the knife into these Cambridge Analytica guys one more time. Like, did you see that that uh, Channel 4 expose on uh, the, the, the 
basically these journalists meeting at Cambridge Analytica CEO and a whole bunch of high ups there pretending to be someone wanting to get an election fixed in Sri Lanka and and they were talking about hiring Ukrainian prostitutes to to as as basically like dirt against the the people that they were planning on running against and I was just sitting there and thinking my god if you have this incredible data weapon that sways elections you don't need to go out and start promising Ukrainians in order to win an election you would just you'd just be like uh, we've got this Facebook thing it works magic just trust us like write us the check we don't need to worry about all that dirty ta- all those dirty tactics anymore this is the thing that'll win you the election but like all I could think of when I saw that was like they have just pulled the wool over everybody's eyes and it's it's been painted to be this massive uh, black dark master master of the dark digital arts pulling all the strings and i just don't think anything could be further from the truth well i mean you know that's been my position all along the, the idea mm. that 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 facebook ads or fa- or facebook disinformation was the causal factor of trump's victory mm. i think is is a convenient way to not address other potential causal right. factors uh totally sh- shall we say and i and i think this has been a problem why facebook's response this week has been so poor uh is because i think facebook feels persecuted and i think that feeling is justified to a degree i i absolutely think facebook has been scapegoated for the election of trump uh, but but i think but it's one of those things where you know it's like you talk about Apple. Like the challenge I think that Apple's management has is, especially less so now, but kind of previously, there was all this just terrible analysis about Apple, right? And to Apple's executive's credit, they would just ignore it and do the right thing, and then they would succeed, and then the 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 people would look stupid, right? Gruber would have his like claim chowder. We love making fun of these guys. <laughs> the problem comes is when there is valid criticism, but you're so conditioned to dismiss criticism because mm. it's dumb that you sort of ignore the valid criticism. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, that's an example. That I think that's part of what happened to Facebook from a PR perspective this week is has Facebook kind of been a scapegoat in some respects for the Trump election? I, I do think so. Does that mean that Facebook was didn't bear responsibility? Well, no, I think they did bear responsibility. And in fact, I argue they are a causal factor, not because of fake news, but because of the way they eliminated gatekeepers and eliminated the media and the power of political yeah. parties, right? But this is a much more meta, big picture sort of view of of the impact of Facebook on our media environment generally. But mm. but but it's but you know, but it doesn't mean that they're not they weren't responsible. And and was there rush disinformation? There was. Does it you know just because some people are overstating? it does that mean it didn't exist well, well no and i think but facebook's sort of taking this sort of black and white view of things yeah. and is pretended like nothing's wrong and the other complicating factor for facebook is like what can you say they they gave this data away they absolutely did and to fall back on they violate our terms of service mm. when the obama campaign did the exact same thing but they just happened to have an election in 2012 before this was shut down such that they could do it legally to say that oh well in 2016 it's not okay because you violated terms of service it, like it's it kind of it's ridiculous i mean at the end of the mm. day like you you can't I put this in my piece. You don't build a branding campaign or build a PR campaign around terms of service. <laughs> like, and they've gotten so stuck on pedantics that they've sort of missed the the bigger problem here. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And your point around a brand being built around all the decisions that you've made uh, is like that, that. That that is exactly right. And they. I, I, they had I this coming, even if it's coming. They for, did, even if it's arguably unfair reasons, yes. and that Cambridge Analytica was not effective, and that to blame them solely or exclusively for Trump's election is is, is ridiculous. They still mm. had this privacy reckoning coming. 
Yes. The, uh, you literally took the words right out of my mouth. That's now exactly we're going to get complaints about me interrupting you. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't <laughs> care. Like, that's the point. Like, they, they I think they, they deserve it. They just don't deserve it for the reasons they've got it. Yeah, but it, it is what it is. I mean, it, it is. It, it's the, uh, you know, I think my, my, my mom told me a lot of time when I was complaining about uh, an unfair speeding ticket. It was like, uh, have you ever sped other times and not been caught? Mm, like, right. Yeah, I guess I, I guess I have. So you know, arguably, I'm still I'm still winning. Uh, I, yeah, I've I've gotten caught a whole lot less than I've than I've actually uh, committed the crime. Yeah. Anyhow, uh, we podcast about Facebook again. <laughs> I, although I think this fits in well with our our library of Facebook podcasts. Yeah, no, it do, it does to a sense feel like we've been building to this point, and it's kind of crazy the extent to which a lot of the topics we've talked about came to a head over the past week. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And yeah, our thanks to WordPress.com for sponsoring Exponent. Again, go to WordPress.com slash Exponent to get 15% off your order. And I should have said this before the ad readings. We're gonna, people aren't going to listen to it. We're going to get questions. Uh, we will probably not be publishing next week. I will be traveling. So uh, we will. I will talk to you in two weeks. Sounds good, mate. Tra- uh, safe travels. All right, thank you. I'll talk to you later. See ya. Yeah, bye-bye.